On Monday, August 8th, Tall Can Audio hits 1,000 episodes. Wait, that's still on? Who could possibly still care? And the gang is all here to celebrate. It's euphoric. It's got to be close to Nirvana. It's outstanding. For the first time ever, Maddie, Michaela, Rob, and Matt are all live in studio together. It's happening, you guys! It's happening! Oh my god! Oh my god! I wish you all were here! Is this likely to go well? Just check my notes here. No! At least it will make a lot of noise. Boom. Here comes the boom. A thousand pods and a thousand pints. I don't think I've ever been as proud in my entire life. TCA 1000 drops Monday, August 8th, wherever you find low-quality podcasts. Fuck, it's out of control. Shit. It's Tall Can Audio. We're not here to take part, we're here to take over. Nice to be back in the car, man. What's happening, everybody? Welcome inside episode 788 of the Tall Can Audio podcast. My name is Matt Robinson, here with you in the TCA studios in beautiful Bytown, Canada. Got a great show for you today, a cast of thousands. Or at least a cast of three or four we're going to get to in just a second. Uh, we will be joined by one of our usual co-hosts, Michaela Schreider, uh, our CFL expert around here. So it only made sense she would be here. Certainly Chris Hoffley of the Ottawa Sports and Entertainment Group, who's been on several times here over the last year or so since the pandemic started and has made some great things happen for this podcast. So we're glad that he's back on here as well. And the reason you're all here... Paul Lapelise, head coach of the Ottawa Red Blacks. Uh, it feels like you should still be saying the new coach, but he's been here for about a year now. We just haven't had any games to talk about, and that's one of the things we will cover with him. So really glad you have all tuned in to check this one out uh, and talk a little Canadian football. In the meantime, we are on Twitter and Instagram at TallCanAudio, Facebook.com slash TallCanAudio. We'd love it if you wanted to interact with us over there. And we hope you'll subscribe wherever you're listening to this, wherever this is playing right now. There's a thumbs up button. There's a follow button. There's a like button. You should go ahead and hit it because we get all kinds of great stuff coming for you, including uh, an interview in the not too distant future with the new quarterback, of the Ottawa Red Blacks. Uh, it's not just football around here, but we are certainly all in on the Canadian Football League. But we've got great guests as well, both in the uh, archives and coming up from hockey, baseball, uh, basketball, everything going on, man. Craft beer. That's really what it's all about. <laughs> so um, we like to sit down with our guests, have a pint like you're sitting around the pub table, and just talk about what's going on. And, and so that's what we're going to do. Uh, we will get to that right now. But wherever you are listening right now, whether it be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Pods, uh, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, some of these other lesser-known podcast apps, hit subscribe because there's going to be more great stuff. We will get to Paul Lapelise, Michaela Schreider, and Chris Hoffley right now on the Tall Can Audio podcast. As promised, we are joined on the uh, the pod right now by uh, our usual co-host, Michaela Schreider. How are you? I'm doing great, Matt. How are you? Not too bad at all. Seemingly more and more of a regular, Chris Hoffley from OSEG is here. What's happening? Always a pleasure. Yeah. Uh, no doubt it is. And, uh, of course we are really excited to be joined by the coach of the red blacks, Paul Lapelise. How are you doing coach? Great. Thanks for having me, Michaela and Matt. This is great. Really appreciate uh, you coming on with us. I, I don't know how much 
Um, Lapo explained what we do around here, but uh, one of the first things we do is we like to have a pint with everybody. So uh, maybe we'll start with you. Uh, are you having one with us today? If so, where from and, and what do you got? Okay, so let me open it first, yep. see if you can hear it. Okay. This guy's so a little I, have, I have a, uh, it's, so uh, the quick story is when I moved here, um, you know, one day I was just driving down Hazeldine and I live in Canada, Stittsville area. And then I saw like a, a I saw a truck outside one of those uh, food trucks and, and this area has tons of food trucks. And it was a, it was a fish place. And I'm like, Oh man, fish and chips. That'd be excellent. So it's a place called Ad Marie. And then I said, well, I'm going to take, come back one day for lunch with the family. So we came back from doing some errands and we literally just kind of go to sit down and we kind of sit at the benches outside or the picnic tables. And then this lady comes up and I think it's kind of all part of the restaurant. I said, well, what is this over here? She goes, it's a brewery. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm in heaven. <laughs> uh, so that is the Kitchissippi brewery. Um, uh, which is in Bell's Corner. Fine choice. Yes, I'm drinking a Stormy Monday India Pale Ale. Uh, uh, the owner of that, Paul, is a good friend. And uh, yeah, that's been kind of our go-to place. Even on Fridays, every couple of weeks, my wife and I would uh, get on the Trans-Canada Trail and ride our bike right there and have kind of lunch and some some fish and chips and then uh, and then ride by- back after a couple, couple of beers. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Have you always been into kind of the craft beer scene or is that something new for you? Uh, you know, I guess somewhat new. I, I, let's, let's put it this way. I try not to discriminate beer, sure. uh, you know, but uh, yeah, I certainly like IPA and some other stuff. I don't think I would, you know, I do have friends from New Hampshire. I'm from that literally drive up to Vermont to get their beers, you know, every couple of weeks. Ah, nice. I yeah. I'm not that far down. I'll still have above that. <laughs> but uh, but Kitchissippi's been great, no, and they deliver for free. They sure awesome. do. No, they have some great stuff. Check, check them out, Hoffley. What do you got going on? All right. Well, I I actually have a I have a Kitchissippi. I go. I have two sitting next to me, just in case. I was trying to decide which direction to go in, but since <laughs> since Coach has already got Kitchissippi covered, I'm going to go with the uh, Big Rig Alpha Bomb. Uh, a nice, powerful IPA, chalking it at a, at a happy six point six percent. And this, you know, there's a Sens game tonight. I'm an Ottawa guy. This the brewery used to be owned by Chris Phillips, a Sens, you know, sent longtime Sens legend. So it felt it felt right today, and it's and it's delicious. Yeah, and it's good that you're getting a head start because it could be a long night there. So, uh, Michaela, what do you got going on? Well, uh, I, I I wasn't able to stick with the Ottawa Senators content trend, but uh, I took your advice, Matt, and stopped by Vimy Brewing over the weekend. Gorgeous. Picked myself up uh, probably more beer than I need, uh, but I'm going with their pale ale today because I tried it over the weekend and loved it. So that's what I'm going with today. I'm into uh, the Starry Night Chocolate Stout out of the Bob Cajun Brewing Company, which uh, I think our buddy Brad Sinopoli would uh, fully endorse down near his neck of the woods. Um, I'm all about the stout, especially when the weather is cold like this. So yeah, going with the, uh, the starry night stout out of the Bob Cage and brewing company. Um, you're big, you're, you're big on the stouts. It's man. all about the stouts, especially in the you're, winter. That's my deal. So as a stout, and it, is for, it, it is from Sinopoli's neck of the woods. But as you recall, when Brad was on this fine, this fine show, uh, he was having a, uh, he was having a glass of red wine. I don't even think he remembered what he was having. It was just like his, like yeah, the standard wine. order that uh, his wife was always asking him to pick up. He couldn't. Uh, he couldn't recall the name of it. If I uh, maybe that maybe he'd had a couple before he jumped on with us, but we shouldn't be ratting him out well, to the coach here. Yeah, and the weird thing about out here is moving here is 
I mean, I'm sure they probably did in Winnipeg. I didn't know, but like they sell wine in boxes, and it's like you know <laughs> much more affordable. But it's a bar. It's a box of wine. So yeah. when you fall wine, you know, like you, there's always wine in the house. Unfortunately, the box wine. Box wine freaks me out because back back in my like formative drinking years. Um, it was always terrible. Like the wine in boxes was always really, really bad. Now there's some parallel, allegedly some half decent varieties of wine and that come in boxes, but I still, it just feels, it feels yeah. wrong. Like I, I'm, I'm doing harm to my like, you know, French forefathers and I, it's just, I feel yeah. guilty. I shouldn't be talking out of school, but uh, for the longest time, I just assumed growing up that that's what wine came in based on the wine my mom drank. That's what was in the house. So. <laughs> You just uh, called out your parents. A She's bit probably there. not listening. It'll be fine. It's. Uh, um, I'm sure they're. I'm sure they're lovely people. Otherwise, <laughs> no, exactly. Uh, I, I, I guess. Why don't we start here? Because it's uh, it's right in the rear view. What did we uh, What did we think of the Super Bowl? We'll start with you, Coach. Yeah, you know, I was I was really impressed with Tampa Bay's defense. You know, first and second down, they played a bunch of zone to keep Mahomes from hitting any of those explosive plays and uh, on third down, you know, they really just got after him and were able to rush the passer. And, you know, uh, he, he really didn't have a lot of time to throw the football, but he was also in third and long a lot because how well they did um, first and second down. And that's the key. If you keep, if, if you keep them out of getting in rhythm um, when they can run all their special plays and trick plays, if you're sitting at third and 10, you can't call all their special crazy mm-hmm. plays. And, uh, that's what I thought Tampa Bay did an outstanding job. And and just to be a defensive coach, it's really hard to be a defensive coach and you got Tom Brady and you got a good run game. And all of a sudden they're they were, you know, they pull a guard and a fullback trying to show a look that is totally a run, and then Gronk's blocking and then he releases on a pass. It's just it's almost hard to def- it's too hard to defend that stuff, and then he locates the ball. So you know, they just have a play-action pass game going really well in, in a mixture of run game. And, and when the defense took over, it, you know, it made it easy for them to keep uh, making their plays. Michaela? Yeah, I, you know, listen, I'm a New England Patriots fan, so I had a lot of mixed feelings about this season basically from start to finish. But I came to terms with wanting the best for Tom Brady <laughs> after the NFC Championship. Um, so right at the 11th hour. Sure. Um, and I, I was rooting for him, and and I'm I'm happy he got another ring. And I, I you know, just to, to, I mean, I'm definitely not going to disagree with what the coach on the podcast says because I, I completely agree with the full credit to Tampa Bay's defense. Like, not only did they... Uh, shut down Patrick Mahomes and KC in the Super Bowl, but they also had to get through Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees on the way to the Super Bowl. And I, I was just super impressed with them, uh, not just in this game, but but on their path to the Super Bowl as well. And, you know, it was... A lot of people would say it wasn't an entertaining game, and, and I guess I, I get that from a, a, the stance of, like, it wasn't very close. But, you know, I've, I've talked about this on the podcast before like when I'm cheering for a team I don't care if it's a blowout I, I, I'm very much happy with sure. a blowout uh, and it wasn't it, at least we saw you know a couple we got two Gronk touchdowns you know that it wasn't like a low scoring affair like the the last Patriots Super Bowl were, which was 13 to 3 over LA um, and I, I agree with people that was a total snooze fest but this one I, I thought was it was pretty entertaining and you know just to 
touch on Gronk for a sec. Like, I don't think Gronkowski gets nearly enough credit for what he does, not only in terms of the offense he produces and the yards he gains, but like the blocks he throws up, the coverage that he draws. Um, he he is, is an incredibly, incredibly special player. And, and I was glad to see him used as much as he was in this game. Before I hand it to Hoff here, we should note that uh, the Gronk is now the only person to ever hold a WWE title and a Super Bowl title inside one calendar year. So something noteworthy there. Did the weekend... He's the only person to aspire to that kind of thing. There really aren't that many of them. Did the weekend live Uh, up to your thoughts? No. 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 I have a a WWE (laughs) trivia myself. So I went to high school with a WWE superstar. In New Hampshire, right? Nashville, New Hampshire, if anybody would know who that person Mm, is. In high school, so we got to be of a certain vintage here. Uh, Hmm. Tread carefully there, Matt. Yeah, no, exactly. (laughs) The Iron Sheik. Yeah, it's going to be like, uh, his name is, uh, he's one year ahead of me in high school. Okay. Levake. Otherwise known as Triple H. H. Wow. No way. <laughs> I don't That's even incredible. Remember. Yeah, like our school was really big. We had, uh, it's just 10, 11, and 12, and we had over close to 3,000 people. So at my grade wow. was nine kids. Um, and he was a year above. I don't recall him at all in, college, in high school. And even after in college, I think he might have worked out at a gym I worked out at, but in China, it was from the next town over. Really? Right? Yes, yes, rest in peace. That's quite the... That's, uh, my, that's my WWE connection. <laughs> Those are some pretty strong connections. That's. Yes. I mean, like, for context, I know who Triple H is. <laughs> yeah, hardly a wrestling fan there. So uh, Hoff, I, doubt, I doubt Triple H would go, I, you know, I know the head coach of the Red Blacks. I don't think he would, would say that. Well, I, I don't know. You got, the, you got the media guy licking his lips here. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, Hoff needs to be on top of this right now, finding out... Uh, uh, have him at uh, at kickoff or something like that. But uh, Hoffley, what'd you think of the Super Bowl? Well, I didn't love Michaela calling out the halftime show. I'll get to the football in a second, but because I, I I always rag on the halftime show because I always find it either they miss the mark on who they get or it's just not that interesting. Yeah, I know the last one was great, but I don't know the weekend reimagining the whole thing. I thought it was pretty cool. I thought it was you know creative as hell. So that you know I watched it, so that was a win. Um, <laughs> No, I think, you know, I'm one of those people that really, really hopes for the entertaining, tight, hard-fought thing in the Super Bowl, uh, and obviously it wasn't that. Um, I'm also someone who rags on Brady a lot over the years. I can't even do that anymore because there's really just no reason to because it's just what he's what he's done is unbelievable. And, I, and I'm a huge Gronk guy. I was never a Pats fan, but, I mean, Gronk almost looks like he's moving in slow motion when he's doing it. Like, he's not... You know, he's so big and lumbery, but he covers so much ground and is, you know, he just gets gets everything done, like Shrine's was saying, you know, yeah. catching, blocking, the whole, the whole thing. So, you know, it's great. Um, I, I like my Patrick Mahomes a lot, so I was hoping for a lot more out of that, uh, out, of the, out of the Chiefs, but um, I don't know. I guess I, I always go into the Super Bowl with somewhat low expectations anyway, so it was fun. It was, it was cool to have such a big game on that stage in the year that we've had. Yeah. Um, so I think that was a that was a big win, just you know, despite seeing all the people partying it up in in Florida afterwards. Uh, so that you know, overall, I think yeah, it was it was great. I think people needed that needed that experience to sit and be able to watch a traditional Super Bowl in a non traditional year. Uh, Coach, I wonder, are you ever able to? Are you still truly able to sit down and watch a game like this? That 
you know, while you have no attachment to it, like, can you watch football as a fan or is there some part of you that's always going, oh, I wouldn't have made that call or, oh, they're in trouble here. Like, can, can you truly sit back and enjoy a game or are you always kind of dissecting it? I guess in my world that is enjoying a game. Yeah, but, fair enough, yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, I guess the hard part for me, and, and this would be the first year that, so the previous four years, uh, you know, the Patriots been in the Super Bowl most of those years. You know, I, I'm from New Hampshire. I grew up, I actually grew up a Jets fan. So it's interesting, Michaela, that you're a, pa- uh, that you're a Patriots fan <laughs> too. Uh-oh. <laughs> I started out a Jets fan back in the Richard Todd, Wesley Walker, Al Toon days, Ken O'Brien. Freeman McNeil. Then I eventually gave up and went to the Patriots. <laughs> um, and uh, so the last couple of years, I've had a uh, Super Bowl Sunday do your job party. So like I would send out stuff. I'd send out emails to everybody and, and it would be an invitation. It was, and what we would do is we would have a Bloody Mary or Bloody Caesars party. And I made a bunch of Caesars the night before. I made, uh, you know, a vats of Caesars. And then we would, uh, like we had all kinds of condiments we cook bacon and had stuff so you could make a huge Caesar. So we had people come over and, and it's from 1230 till 430. And to be clear, to be clear there, coach, so you're talking like though you're making actual Caesars. You're not making any of these American wannabe Bloody Marys, right? Uh, it's both. We have both. If you want, if you want tomatoes or, you know, uh, people are like, what's a Bloody Mary? Uh, so we do that and people make them. And, and every year on the invitation list, I would all say uh, meet local Winnipeg celebrities like Bob Dice. And yeah. Our special teams coordinator. And uh, yeah, we just had friends over. But the nice thing about it is from like 1230 to 430. And then you got the hell out and you watched the game. Right. Because I just have a hard time sometimes watching games with people who really I don't know. Everybody has opinion about football, I feel, and they don't know what they're talking about half the time. <laughs> and you're just kind of hearing them say something just like, okay. And especially if I'm ever at a place where they don't know who I am, that's awful to be around. And, you know, would you, would you rather sit with someone who's opinionated throughout a whole game or someone who every five seconds is like, what's that whistle for? What's that mean? What are they doing? What's that? What's that penalty mean? Uh, yeah. I don't want to hear an opinionated person doesn't know talking about not listen to that no uh if we could go back kind of quite a ways before this uh super bowl and and before your arrival in auto i'm always curious about you know your impressions as you're making your way through the university coaching ranks and things like that before you decide or or when you decide you're coming to Canada and, and how much you kind of knew about the CFL, um, what kind of apprehension, if any, there was about coming to a new country to, uh, to continue to, to coach a sport, you know, but that does have some different wrinkles to it. Um, can you kind of tell us about, um, the, the decision when, when that rolled around and, and kind of, I, I believe it was the Argos that brought you up, was it not? Yeah. Great question. And truly people have no understanding of, you know, just being an American and moving and everything. So, um, so my, uh, the biggest knowledge I have uh, about Canada at this point, when I'm 29 years old is would go back to my high school days where my, when we would actually probably rent a DVD player before you owned one and we would watch movies was a movie where the, uh, the guys went in and tried to buy 24 Elsinore beers. If we're in a beer podcast, you remember Elsinore Brewery from Strange Brew? That was what I knew about Canada. It was Bob and Ramsey in the movie Strange Brew. Like I had 
a hundred times, could talk about it. So, you know, when uh, basically what had happened, I was coaching at RPI for the hockey guys, a very good hockey school in the U.S., uh, down in Albany, New York. Uh, the first person I ever worked for, who wor- I worked for him at Maine Maritime Academy, he got the head coaching job of the Argos, a guy named John Hewer. And uh, he called me and wanted me to be the, uh, he wanted me to come coach. He wanted me to be the quarterbacks and receivers coach. And I said, coach, I don't know anything about the CFL. And he said, you're a good coach. Just come on up and we'll figure it out. And so I was 29 at the time. Um, and I was the, I'd been at a really good division three school, a small college school, uh, like university of Ottawa or Carlton. We'd won a lot of games and broken a lot of records and everybody in the organization was uh, the college was trying to tell me, well, you'll be the next head coach here. We expect you when the head coach retires, be the next head coach. But you know, 29, um, I remember talking to my father, uh, who I, th- I believe passed away like eight months after I took the job, like that next spring. But I remember like saying, I'm not sure, because John Heward was a very combative coach and he got five <laughs> games. And I was like, Coach, I said, Coach, he's nuts. I might get fired. Like, we may get fired in a year. <laughs> and I remember my father just saying, He's like, Paul, who cares? You're going from Division three to a pro football job without an interview. Like you take the, you can always go back to division three, but you don't know what this job will entail and bring. So, you know, then, uh, yeah. So then I said, let's, let's go. So, you know, certainly when you have a family and all those things, you don't have a lot. I literally got, I took my Honda Accord and I I think I rented a U-Haul and, you know, everything in my car fit in my car in a small U-Haul piece and uh, took it over and went over the border. And that was the year 2000. So the apprehension was, you know, just the unknown. And, 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 you know, back in those days, I thought the people in Toronto spoke French, right? Like you just have, as Americans are so ignorant about Canada, right? When I talk to my friends, like, well, what do you eat up there? Do you, you know, do you have Burger King in there and pizza? <laughs> yeah, we do. I don't it's what the, It depends what they deliver to the igloo at a, at a moment's yeah, notice. You know, like, yeah, all that stuff. And, and, and certainly when you talk to people, it kind of blows their mind. Somebody will say, you work up there? And I'm like, well, you live in Texas. That is so far removed from, you know, New Hampshire, right? It's just kind of crazy how people just think you're going over the border and how different it is. So that was somewhat of an adjustment and took a while to kind of find my way through there. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's been a good opportunity. I've, been, I've enjoyed it. And you know, uh, we get fired after one year. Like that, that coach did get fired after eight games, and then pinball took over. And at the end of the year, I was thought I was going to go, but pinball fired everybody in the organization. But he thought I was good and kept me on, so I was very fortunate to get a second year. And that kind of propelled me from being, oh, this guy came in with that crazy staff, and the second year propelled me to more opportunities. Like I think this guy's probably pretty good, and let's give him more opportunities. So, coach. I think I remember asking you this question about a year ago uh, when you had first uh, signed in Ottawa and, and you moved up here and there was a lot of excitement um, throughout the city about having you join the organization. And, you know, I, I asked you, you know, what are your thoughts heading into the season? Are you ready to, to join the Ottawa Red Blacks, all that stuff? And then 2020 happened and there was no season. So take me through what the last year has been like for you. You know, you move to a different city, you join a different organization, you're, you know, there's all this excitement and then the season doesn't happen. How, how are you able to kind of maintain, I guess, a, a level of preparedness for what's to come? Yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah. Mississippi so- Brewery helps. 
I think we did. I think we did your podcast, Michaela, outside. I was with the ownership group, and I had to jump out. And we were at uh, right downtown at the, one of the main restaurants, so I had to jump outside and do our podcast. And yeah, it seems like forever ago. You know, the, the, the I guess the first thing is, um, you know, when, when we had to go home, I was excited to get a couple of weeks with the coaches, right, to, to spend time with them, and uh, certainly excited to you know, come to Ottawa and, and, and be part of the organization. So then when COVID hit, you know, way back in those days, there's never even a thought that you weren't going to play. Right. So we we're still prepping and getting ready to go. Then as the summer months ha- and heading into cl- getting close to the summer, when we thought we'd play in September, we always tried to do as many things as we could. And I really pushed the staff to make sure like technically we wanted to have online meetings with the players, just like it was training camp. First day of training camp, we were going to have a meeting and just say, all right, here's our team meeting. It's just on a zoom call, but the kind of players association got in, well, we don't want to do that. And, you know, we haven't agreed on what's going on. Well, so then we did virtual meetings. So we, we have this software where we can record the meeting and then put it up in the cloud. So we did 12 days of installation. There's a team meeting up there of eight minutes of me talking about what I would have talked day one. And then it goes to Bob Dyson's special teams. And then you break up to the offensive, defensive, and then position groups. So then we tried to do our whole staff to kind of put a whole training camp in that the guys could start listening to. And, you know, so we tried to keep busy and, and doing as much as we could when we knew football wasn't going to be around. Um, then we, you know, just tried to now take some time off and then kind of regroup. Now, let me backtrack. Within that, I moved on May 20th to Ottawa. So I moved right in the middle of a pandemic. We weren't sure what to do, but we had bought a house out here that had a pool, had a big backyard. And we figured if we're going to be in a pandemic, we may as well get out there so we can unpack, get organized, get the kids outside, get them in the pool. And that, that has been actually an outstanding thing. When we knew we didn't have football, you know, I've been able to actually, normally if this would have happened in football, we would have showed up. There would have been boxes everywhere. I wouldn't even seen the kids and the family. They would have moved out and I would have just been working. So to actually be part of that and help the transition, because the transition heart is hard. I've got a 13-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 7-year-old, and just tried to help them through that. And we're able to go do a bunch of things. You would never have that opportunity. We're able to do as many things around the house, whether it be painting and fixing stuff up around the house. We've been able to do that. So that's been outstanding. And, and, you know, and and the other thing I think we've done a good job is, you know, some staffs I've talked to just haven't met and they just kind of stopped doing stuff. They said, we're already, well, we've tried to meet with our coaches, you know, not every day, but as much as, you know, right now we're going three days a week and a couple hours a day just to get our culture, to put our culture in, to make sure everybody knows this is how we operate on second and 15. This is what I want done when we're at the minus two yard line and it's second and 10, like all the situational and all our culture, how we go about doing our business, we've been able to do for about a year and review and go over. So that makes me confident and, and feel good about that situation. And, and I certainly love our staff. And so I guess that's what's been keeping us busy, but I do believe the, I hope this is my last move for a long time. And, and I told my wife, this could have been, couldn't have been a better move because we're able to spend time with the family and everything in the Caleb. 
And and he's instilling uh, Paul's instilling some really good habits in his kids while he's had them at home. And one of my one of my favorite stories so far from this this year. Is, I love this story, Hoff. I, I got, did, did I tell did I tell you this one? I, I got a I got he's an been email. On Twitter, one, that's all. That's all. I got an email one day from from a, a La Police, but not but not Paul La Police. So immediately intrigued, I, I opened that email, and it was a very well written formal media request to me from Paul's. That's your that's your oldest, Paul, right? Yes, Peyton, my thirteen. Peyton, yeah, and so it was. A, it was a very, very like. I mean, I, I'm saying good. Like it was better put together than some of the media media requests I get. You know, on an average day, and it was. I'm feeling. You know, atta- I, I'm feeling attacked off. <laughs> I have. I know yours. Yours are always great. You know that. But it was. <laughs> it was. You know, I've got to do a project. I've got to interview somebody, and I want to interview my dad. And he says I have to go through the media guy, and that's you. And I know this seems. I know this seems weird because I'm sitting right next to him. But can I please interview my dad? And I said, of course. And that was, you know, that gave me that was, you know, that gave me a good chuckle. But it was, uh, you know, we we like our rules and our processes and yeah, protocols, right? I, I was very, I was very pleased to see that the protocols were being followed in all yeah. facets of. Uh, and at, at that time, our fairly new head coach's life. So that right away, I was like, you know what, we're going to get along. Yeah, I, I mean, I just. You know, certainly the exposure, you know, I have not bumped into somebody that has said a bad word about Ottawa, right? Um, You know, from other people, whether it be Dave Naylor or other people who've lived in the city. And, you know, so part of that was taking the job here. But we were able to actually do some things that you wouldn't normally do. And obviously, if I was in a full football season, to really appreciate the area more, like, I, I just think Ottawa does such a great job of making it an outdoor recreation area for everybody. Like there's so much to do. And even I, I know we're in a pandemic, but there's just so much stuff for people to jog, work out, go around. Like I said earlier, the Trans Canada trails right down the street. Anytime we go on that, it's packed with people. Uh, I, I, I did the stupid, absolutely stupid thing. And someday in September of last year, I wrote, tried to ride my bike to the stadium <laughs> and it took me about three hours, but uh, you know, I left at seven. It was horrible. I was so mad. But there's literally a path that goes from, you know, out in this area right to downtown, right? And and it's a bike trail. So it, it's just amazing. I really think Ottawa does a good job. There's a path behind our house that goes to parks. They plow that more than they plow the streets to make sure you can walk around. So it's pretty impressive that, that, that stuff I would have probably not had an opportunity to recognize uh, if I was, you know, just in the basement uh, doing football all day. Since uh, you're relatively new to Ottawa, and like you said, you've been doing some exploring within the realm of what you can do during a pandemic. Any aside from the the food truck and Kitchissippi, any uh, restaurants or or kind of local eateries in particular that you've uh, you've liked to to patronize uh, throughout the last year. <laughs> Uh, okay. So the night before my interview, the place I always used to come when I was with a set, when I worked in Hamilton and Ottawa was way back in the old two or three, when it was the Renegades, the guys that I worked with, they used to always go. And I used to always go was Mama Teresa's. So we used to always go to Mama Teresa's the night before the game. Great choice. Yeah. It's good, good Italian place. The night before my interview, I actually ate there by myself, sat at the bar with the manager um, and then uh, the probably the place that I've kind of educated my family on and that I've uh, I used to go to with some of the coaches uh, besides the stuff down at Lansdowne would be uh, is it Felina's Felina's the Mexican place on uh, it uh, isn't yeah yeah, yeah so that's a good good place they're good people they're uh, Red Blacks fans so 
that's probably it for us from a restaurant standpoint. They just you just haven't been to many. Felina's Felina's is a is a Glebe institution. It's been around for for as long as I've been alive i'm pretty sure it's always been in the glee it's a great great spot and they're doing takeout and all and all that right now too it's a great uh great spot to get a, some fajitas or some burritos or good the, food the the natural follow-up to um you know the bike trails and how well they're maintained have you been down to the canal yet coach uh no we haven't go i don't even know if we're allowed yet. like being out of out of area yeah, it's kind so of weirdly gray uh, <laughs> yeah my kids have not gone there i've gone over to quebec before all this happened um don smith's a, a ottawa uh ottawa alumni former player center um we've been up to his house he, he and i worked together years ago i've been over to jock Climby's house uh, over in elmer um we I we did uh, is it White Lake? I think I went to White Lake. I think we rented a boat and went to White Lake oh, one nice. week. Yeah, we've tried to do different things. We've done the bike trails to take you. You can take a bike trail through Canada. It takes you right up to the water. We did that a couple weeks back or a couple weeks, couple months <laughs> back. So just yeah, just tried to. I, I bought my first bike since uh, you know I was like twelve years old. So it was good to actually get back out and riding bikes and stuff. So. One no, thing I, you're, you're like, you're a proper local now, coach. That's impressive. Yeah, like you're yeah, like right yeah, out, like yeah. suburbs, suburbs and in. It's, uh, I, got like, kids, I, got, I got kids, a dog and a bike. So I'm definitely, see, I grew up, I grew up in Canada. So that, you know, I'm, I'm well, well versed in those trails. It's kind of started at the West end and you can go, you can go for ages on, on, on the trans Canada and those, those, those bike paths. They're, they're unbelievable. One yeah, of the, sure. uh, the, the natural follow-up, I guess I'd have to Michaela's question about kind of the last year is, how much was it a moving target and, and did you adjust much? You kind of suggested, you know, rightly that at one point we were looking at a, a normal season start and then it was going to be pushed back. Then there was talk about it being a bubble. How much are things changing in these meetings with your coaches for, uh, how much do we do differently in a shortened season? If it's this many games, if they're going to be at home versus in a bubble, um, does much change as you're working through this or is it always kind of an overarching philosophy and then wait for what the specifics will look like? Yeah, I, I guess I would say you have to do, you do all your prep work and then you, it, it, I'm always comfortable, um, you know, changing 20% and redoing a hundred percent. So you always try to do all this stuff. And like I said, the big changes for us was, um, we were prepped and ready to go. We had all the stuff we wanted to teach in a regular training camp. Well, then when they said we're not having a regular training camp, all right, let's put it up online and would we'll still have the meeting ourselves, record it, let the players listen to it. Well, then the player, you know, we, no, originally we're going to have meetings. We're going to say, all right, the first team meeting, let's have all the guys. And then let's, but then when the, the players said they didn't, you know, PA didn't want that done, then we had to adapt and, all right, let's do online. Let's record them and put them up to them. They can watch them. Right. And then when they said, we're not sure how many games we're going to play. So then we had to look at our installation. Like, what are we going to install? What are we going to throw out? How many days? But you're always kind of waiting to figure those type of things out. So you don't want to do, you know, create extra work. And then when they decided we weren't going to play football, I tried to give the coach a couple of weeks off. And I said, then we're going to get back and we're going to do whatever we need to do. And I'll tell you, since set, probably you know, October, We've gone leaps and bounds in fixing stuff and making sure we're on the same page. We've redone our playbook in a new software. We've normally done a PowerPoint, went to this thing called Visio, and and we we just closed the playbook today. And 
you know, just working through other things. But it's also funny. People will say, well, let's break down Montreal. And I've been very hesitant about, you know, working on other teams because you don't even know what you know, the film's two years old. Right. You don't know the roster. Who's going to play so for Montreal that. next year? <laughs> yeah. And then on, when we were going to do this and I kept like a couple of coaches asked for it. And I said, no, we're not doing that. I don't want to create busy work. And then sure enough that, you know, the D coordinator changes. So then you don't, information's irrelevant. So, you know, now as we get more in the spring, when we've caught, we've done all the other work, we've scripted training camp and all that stuff. We can now focus in on what we know is in the building more so now. And, and it'll be a moving target. But we, as we always tell our players, you know, our success, one of the keys to our success always, and my success has been able to adapt, improvise and overcome whatever shows up. And how are the conversations going with the players right now? Obviously, you know, the with the season not happening and, and heading into this season, whatever it may look like, preparation for them has got to be pretty different. What have your conversations been like with the players? Yeah, so what we did, Michaela, is we were trying to have – when this first started, I, I, I tried to make sure there was some communication. Uh, but you don't want to force it too much. But I, I would call it a happy hour. We'd send out a whole thing. And, and you know, literally I had my Zoom meeting on. And, uh, like, it would show – it would show, like, the video would on. It would show, like, the beer, right? And as the guy – so the guys could come on and have a beer if you want to have a beer. We'll have two beers. I would maybe say a few things. And then what we actually did is something we would do in training camp. I had, uh, I had the leaders of the team. There's this exercise I do with the leaders of the team. Like I would say, what would the rookie, uh, we did Richie Leone. What would the rookie Richie Leone, what would you tell the rookie Richie Leone with all your years experience, right? And Cleon Lang was another one. You know, what would the rookie Cleon, uh, what would you tell the rookie Cleon Lang to do to help him make a team? And then I would turn the question around. What would the rookie tell you to do, the crafty veteran or the older veteran? And uh, we tried to do that. And then just anybody had something to tell. It was great because you'd have guys, hey, we're having a baby. Or, you know, I just got engaged just to get the guys together. Right. And, and I thought that was kind of we did that three times, maybe. But then you wanted when we knew the season was over. The most important thing for our players is go make money. So, like, I tried to tell the staff, do not. We're not having any organized meetings. Don't do anything. Leave them alone. And we've left them alone for a long time until, you know, we'll start back up probably in March. But we wanted to give them, or maybe late February, we just wanted to give them time to, you know, difficult time when football was canceled, right? right go what you need to do to, to, to be successful. And certainly we've had conversations with guys on the roster throughout. Like I've made sure the staff has at least just checked in with everybody, but not anything formal meeting was. What do you expect, I wonder, moving into this next season, um, you know, and there's a lot still to come on what that season is going to look like, but in terms of quality of play, and, and specifically I wonder about this this fact that guys are going to be rusty and we don't know how much of a camp there's going to be yet, so it's all speculative, but this idea of a year off, a little rust, things kind of piling up that way and, and maybe not being as sharp as usual – but counteracted by this idea that, man, football's hard and there's going to be some fresh bodies. Guys are going to be as healthy and as healed as they've maybe ever been in their careers and kind of what that balance looks like when it comes to quality of play. Uh, you know, I think, um, 
you know, I, I think it's actually going to be good. You know, how much guys get a year off to get their legs refreshed and everything. Uh, it, it, I think it's more than anything, Matt's going to depend on the, the individuals themselves, right? There's going to be some people who, you know, maybe go into this and, and once they get their job and they start doing their job, it's going to be hard uh, to get back into football mode, if that makes sense. Where, you know, some people are solely focused on the football and the football alone. You know, I, I think that might be an easier transition. So I, I think it'll depend on the person. You know, uh, it would have been very difficult, I would say this, and, and who knows what will happen, but it would have been very difficult for us to go two weeks and then start playing football. I, I can assure you that way. It would have been a horrible thing for the Ottawa Redlacks because we would have been at a disadvantage because we have all new coaches, all new systems, and all new schemes. So that's why we were doing trying to do so much beforehand to, to get caught up with the teams that have already, you know, been in the same system for five years. Uh, so hopefully the players that really understand that I got to get back to work and get ready to play football are going to be okay. And you're hearing that you're hearing that now with every every one of our guys that I talk to. It's they, it, I mean, a lot of them have, have mentioned that Paul that you know they've appreciated that kind of balance of of being in touch and and then you know getting that that space to do their you know family stuff or or, or work and stuff or, or or whatever it may be. But the guy the vibe right now is like guys are just so fired up to get back into this. They've had you know the time away. They're getting to that point where we're starting to look towards training camp and. You know, I was talking to I was talking to Don Yunamba today, who we just re-signed, and I've never heard a guy who seems more, you know, he just wants to hit somebody, and you know, let's like let's get him on the field and do that. That's the kind that's the kind of vibe right now. So it's really cool to hear to hear that. Like guys have appreciated some of the time away, some of that time to focus on some other things, and 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 you know, and do that and live their lives a little bit. But you talk to these guys that are signed again, and there's really very little doubt that these guys are just desperate and fired up to come back and then do what they do. Yeah. We've recorded, you know, there, this was a, and again, I doubt anybody in the league did this, but we recorded 10 days of installation, right? So we usually install, all right, I've opened another beer guys. Sorry. Me too. It's not, I just held it under the table. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I've, I've moved over to the Kitchissippi blonde now too. So no right. one's, no so, one's alone. This is a Cheshire cat pub, which is a pub out in uh, carp, I believe. Oh, now you're, now you're talking Paul. That's so one of my favorites. So did you, did um, you know before you make, before, before we continue that the Cheshire cat or the, or just the cat to, to those in the know, um, it burned down several years ago, like completely burned down and they rebuilt it almost identical to what it was. Cause people were so attached to the, to the cat and what that place looked like and how the vibe that they rebuilt it almost identical, except with a little bit more space upstairs and a few more like modern, modern installations. But it was very, very clear from their, their customers that if they were rebuilding it, it better damn well be the exact same as it was. Cause because people don't mess around with the treasure cat. <laughs> yeah, I haven't been there yet, but it's heard great things. You know, like, but I would say, I, I'm sure we're the only staff in league. Like, we had 10 days of installation recorded. And, you know, I, I, I told the players, you know, in one of our last team meetings, like, here, here it is. You know, I'm going to send you a text message or what, uh, how we communicate to our players. Of, hey, day one is up. Day two is up. Day three is up. And, you know, so this is one we're still not sure whether we're playing or not and all that stuff. So we're giving you the tools to be successful or to get ahead of the game for a short training camp. Um, 
And, but you also have to sit there as the head coach and go, well, you know what? Like this guy may have two jobs, right? Like I had to make sure that the players have an understanding, like, listen, I'm not, you know, I don't have this app doesn't have the ability for me to say so-and-so didn't look at it or so-and-so did. Cause you have, some people don't have to work. Some people have to work. So you, I really wanted to make sure the players didn't feel threatened. Like Jesus, you know, shit, I got to go get a job to earn a living. And coach is just telling me to watch two hours of film. Mm -hmm. And so that was a thing we wanted to instill on. It's there for you. We've done all the work for you. If you want to go ahead and do it if, if, if you'd like. So coach, there was some pretty big news in the CFL about a week and a bit ago now, uh, where the Ottawa Red Blacks brought in someone you're very familiar with and Matt Nichols is their new quarterback. Um, tell me a little bit about your relationship with Matt and uh, what you're looking most forward to heading into the season. Yeah. You know, um, you know, certainly Matt is, uh, from a football standpoint, he's probably one of the smartest quarterbacks I've coached in my 20 years. Um, he's very, uh, from a leadership standpoint, I can't tell you how many players on our team here, like and the Winnipeg team that I previously worked, like reached out to me when Matt was signed. And and there's so many guys, I can't wait to play with the guy and this or that. And, you know, he's a really good leader that players respond and go behind, get behind. Um, and certainly the body of work, he's won a lot of football games, right? In 2016, he took over and uh, I think the Bombers won nine straight games with him at the helm. He, he had uh, eight games without throwing an interception. 2017, he's got, I don't know, four, almost 5,000 yards. Uh, second, in the, I think he's first or second in the league in touchdown scored. All right. And, uh, you know, one of certainly the top two quarterbacks in the league. And then, you know, 18 had decent year and 19, he, we're seven and two and he's 15 touchdowns and I don't know, four picks or something like that and having a great year. So but he, he, he's been a successful winner in the league. Um, and that was, uh, you know, uh, that's a hard thing to pass up when you get to a point where when I took the job, you know, there was a change and they played a young quarterback and, and it wasn't very successful. It didn't go great. And uh, we felt that would be something that could instantaneously, you know, f get you uh, get you in the right position. And uh, just just from the fact that his body of work and then on top of that, he's been within our system. He knows our stuff inside and out. He can be a coach on the field. Uh, he'll hit the ground running if we have to play shorter season, if we have to play less practices. Um and, uh, you know, bottom line, he's, you know, you, you certainly have a guy who, uh, who's played a lot of good football games. Uh, I loved my time with Nick Arbuckle, uh, character guy. And, you know, it's just, you, you know, I, somebody mentioned to me, he's like, I would have loved to see you try to develop Nick Arbuckle. It, somebody kind of reached out to me and said that to me and like to see what you did trying to develop Nick. And I said, I appreciate that, but like trying to develop is still developing, right? Where right. this guy has been developed and has played a lot of games and won a lot of games. And so there's just no guarantees. And, uh, you know, you, you want to fix that position as soon as possible. And, and unfortunately with COVID, we didn't get 18 games to evaluate what Nick would do and all those things. And it was a difficult, very difficult decision, but we just felt that, you know, Matt, you, there are too many in, things not to pass up with Matt from a uh, situation of uh, bringing him into the building. And uh, no, I, I'm sure uh, 
uh, you know, I'm sure he's going to have good games and bad games, just like whatever quarterback is here. And it was funny. I talked to Henry Burris called me last week and, and, and Henry, it's like, Hey, everybody always loves the backup. <laughs> Never <liked laughs> it. Right. was his line. That and sounds like that's like, yeah, Hank, that's a Hank line for sure. You know? So, you know, that's, you know, you just, uh, you just go from there, but I, I, I'm sure people are really going to enjoy, you know, and I know our players have enjoyed reaching out to Matt and, uh, but that's part of the business. Football's a change business and uh, you just, you, you're just thankful the relationships and you just see him go to a different spot. And, uh, and to that, and to that point, like, I, like for, from my, from my end and in, in, in what I do, I mean, it's, you see so much and that's where I get my, you know, I try to avoid getting my backup online, but when it, it's not a, it's not a popularity contest. It's not a thing about liking one guy versus the other. Nick Arbuckle is a tremendous, you know, tremendous person. Hell I, I adopted his dog. Like it was, um, he's just, you know, he's a really, really good guy, a good player. And he, you know, we, enjoyed having him here again like the season being canceled no one no one can predict but I will tell you this and you know the first conversation I had with Matt Nichols when we when we brought him in I just you know I was blown away by how excited he is to be here blown away by the response of the guys that we have on the team right now who who you know you saw the video that we posted the other day we're just you know chopping at the bit to, to welcome him here and he's, he's just one of those guys that gets it. You know, I'm not going to, I'm never going to be the guy that evaluates any of the football aspects. That's not my job, but from a, from a public facing, you know, perspective, a guy like Matt Nichols, he, he just gets every part of being a starting quarterback and being kind of the, the, the focus in the CFL. And it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough gig. Like I wouldn't, it's like being a goalie in hockey. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to have that job. But when you have a guy like, a veteran like Matt that comes in and just gets every part of it. He can go out and play, but he also knows everything that surrounds the job um, without getting too, you know, too rattled or too, too worried about it is, is, is a treat is a treat for me. And I, um, you know, it's the speaking of guys being excited to go back. I can't wait to see these guys like you know, guys like Matt in person, but um, you know, I know, I know fans are always weary and a little bit apprehensive of any big change. And I just think that people are going to, going to be really excited to see what this guy brings, you know, on and off the field to, to step all over a cliche, but he's a, he's a good dude and we're going to have some fun with him this year. Well, and again, as I said before, whether it's Nick Arbuckle, Matt Nichols, whoever the quarterback is, it's not, you know, our job is to make sure it's not only about the quarterback. Like we have to, you know, Tom Brady's was able to do what he's done the last couple of weeks, not only because he's one of the best of all time, but he had the best defense, right? Like we have to play good football around the quarterback, right? And that's what I think we have to make sure we keep developing and making sure that it's not just about the, the trigger. And it's about, you know, uh, it's about doing the things that win football games as a, as a team. And that's what we, you know, we got to instill in our players and teaching our players, and that reputation is, as you know, has kind of fallen. You followed you around, Paul, in in terms of you know, not worrying about who's the you know quote unquote star, who's the highest paid guy, or who's the guy getting the headlines. It's it's really about what you can do with the with the talent that you that you have at your disposal. And I think that you know that goes a long way with the actual football aspect of it. I imagine. Yeah, and, and experience experience of the quarterback position helps, right? I mean, it certainly helps. And I, and I always pose this. I'll pose this to Michaela and Matt. Whoever your primary physician is, or maybe who your your dentist is, or whatever, if you're going in for a heart transplant, do you want the guy who's done it four times or the guy who's done it forty-seven times? Right? <laughs> like, you know, like football is the only sport. We're like, ah, you know, and I say that as a head coach, I've been a head coach before, 
And I'm, you know, I'm way better of a head coach now my second time around than my first. But what happens is people just see the, they just want to create the warts on the person who's done it before, not the positives. So they just see this unknown of somebody and like, oh yeah, make that guy a head coach, you know, where the the experienced guy is like, yeah, I've done that. No, I wouldn't do that again. And this is how I'm going to handle this. And so, you know, I always say that, like, you don't want to go to, you never want to go to the, you know, the doctor do a heart to do a heart procedure. And it's his first time out. Right. You're going to go, the guy is the most experienced, done this head many times. It's so funny, coach, that you say that this podcast is being released on uh, the 10 year anniversary of me having a kidney transplant. And I, I can remember specifically you know, being when I met my surgeon, it was a guy who was literally on the verge of retirement and had been called back in because someone else had left. And I was so pumped about that. I want the guy who flew in the war, not the new pilot, right? <laughs> like, and when they said that guy, did you make sure? Did you make sure he hadn't retired because of like Parkinson's or well, something first? Like, you want to look at the like the steady hands, right? Before they wheeled me into the operating room, he came out to talk to me, and he goes, "It's a really good-looking kidney. You're going to be great." And I can remember going, that's such a weird thing to say. But if you're in that business, <laughs> you've probably seen a thousand kidneys and go, yeah, this is a good looking one, right? So it depends yeah. what business you're in, right? So um, I should. Yeah, I mean, whether, whether you're the quarterback, whether you're the head coach, whether you're, you know, experienced, Matt, especially at some of those certain situations, especially the quarterback position, the head coaching position, you know, like, again, I've been through a, a Grey Cup week prep, right? I've been through it as an assistant, but being as a head coach is totally different, right? So, you know, they're, 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 I think there's a lot of positives to experience. People at times don't want to believe that. They just want the fresh, newest thing. And, and I, I think sometimes that's, you know, it's a very much overlooked, yeah. you know. You mentioned earlier, Coach, your your time when you first came into the league with the Argos and – I'll be honest with you, one of the guys who got me the most interested in the CFL when I was a kid was Pinball, and that was still as a player, but he was just such a just such a likable guy, right? He's always smiling, he's a great talker, all these things. I grew up in the GTA um, and, and cheering for the Argos at the time, and um, you said, you know, you kind of expected that, that you might be let go after that first season, but he liked what he saw and kept you around. Um, what is it? about pinball like is he he can't be that nice up close and in person like is he always that guy that you see in the media like is he as great as he comes off because man whether he was coaching or playing or now i know he does some speaking all these sorts of things there, there was a time where we all thought that guy could run for mayor of toronto if he wanted to and would probably have a pretty good shot at it what was it like to work with pinball He's, he was awesome he's very first of all he's genuine yeah like he's pretty much that that way every day he doesn't have a down day. He's always positive. Um, and, you know, like he knew his strengths, like the weirdest, one of the weirdest things I've ever been involved in and, and is, you know, I, like I was the running backs and quarterbacks coach. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think the receiver coach got fired by week two. So then I'm coaching all three <laughs> and it was very tumultuous. We won like two games and, and it was a miserable situation. Nobody wanted to be in the building. Right. And then when they fired Coach Heward, I literally went home. I went back to the upstate New York for a weekend. I didn't even know what was going to happen. And we came because it was a bye week. And we came back from the bye week and they tell me pinball is going to be the head coach. And so, like I, the guy goes from my meetings, me running the meetings to my boss. Right. right? Um, 
but I'll tell you, like they announced him. We had a press conference. We announced him in one trailer. We had two trailers at the time. And then we went in and like we brought pinball into the meeting into with all the players. I believe that we had a players meeting the same day. Um, and I'm telling you, we opened that door and it was like a rock star. Our players like flipped out. Like they were so excited and happy for him who he is and everything. But that's kind of what our team needed. Like, and then he didn't, you know, we traded for Kerwin Bell and he said, let's run a CFL offense. Paul, you get with Kerwin. Kerwin can run it. Like he just kind of gave you big parameters. And then he, he was a cheerleader, if that made sense, yeah. right? And I never forgot, like, I remember the first couple of weeks of the season before when we were still under with John Heward and everything, who, uh, you know, like you're, you're running team before the game, right? And it's my, you know, I'm in the Sky Dome. I'm a 29 year old kid playing games in the Sky Dome, which is an impressive building. And, and I'm like, Where, where's our starting tailback? Why, like, like it's, you know, this is not what you right before the game. You're like, where's the starting tailback? Right. <laughs> And I look over and he's signing autographs. Like, <laughs> he's off the field, you know, taking pictures with kids, no helmet on. And you're like, what the hell? Like, God, that's what there, pinball is, right? There's um, something about pinball that's like, he's, you know, they always used to say about Bill Clinton back, like when he started doing his speaking engagements and he was getting paid a million bucks a pop, they always said that, that Clinton had this ability to speak to a crowd of thousands of people and make everybody feel like they're talking to you. That's kind of what pinball. That's kind of what pinball does. And I was at a, I was at a CFL thing a couple of years ago where he was the breakfast keynote speaker. It was like seven o'clock in the morning, and that ener- and that energy. And he was you know he was jumping around and talking. And then he at one point he jumped on the chair, the empty chair at my table right in front of me. And with that, whatever he was saying, he looks at me and goes, "You know what I'm talking about, Chris?" And I'm going, "Holy shit! How does he know my name? I'm wearing like a huge name. I'm wearing a huge name tag." But he. his ability to do that. And then we talked for a few minutes, just one-on-one afterwards in the hallway and the energy didn't change like from his, from his, you know, keynote address where he's hopping around everywhere to just having a chat. Like he's a, he's a, I don't know. He's not, he's very, he's not even human. He's just a presence. That's, that's he was so positive. He was always consistently positive. He was great. You know, and and he let you coach. He let you do your job. Uh, He's notoriously late for everything. He's never (laughs) on time for everything. But like, he always had a moment. Um, yeah, he had like a, a, like we had that. This is a crazy year. He had to. He named was named the head coach, but Steph Patasic, the head coach of McMaster, was our receiver. He retired to go to teachers college, so we didn't have enough receivers on the roster. So like pinball literally played as the head coach, and we <laughs> had to have a coach. And then, well, they, they they wanted the fans to have him play again, so he he was became the head coach for like three games. The first game he played as the head coach, and then a couple of games later he was the head coach, and then he came back to play a home game, pinball's final run, if you remember. And like, so they sold out the Sky Dome. We played a difficult game, and I think we lost in the last second to Sask. And then after at Joe Vidali's, which was the restaurant everybody went to, they had a they had a private party, right, where the the, the coaches and staff went, and and of course people snuck in and everything. And I remember being there and I, you know, I was going to say goodnight to him after the, at the end of the game and, uh, or at the end of the evening. And there literally was 70 people in line and he had all his family up and, you know, he kind of cut out a line to come over to, to see me and, and my girlfriend at the time and, and speak to us. And he said, you did a great job tonight. I'm like pinball. 
go, go yeah. be with finish. And he still had people left and he's like, I'm almost finished. Right. And then he was going to sit with his family, but he, for, since the minute he walked in the 70 people in line, he was going to take care of them first. So I'll never forget that about him. And he, he was just really good at creating a culture of enjoying the process of the daily grind. He was smart football. Uh, he, he, he had a good understanding of situational football too. I always thought he did that well. And no, he's, he's a joy to work with, man. It always seems the way, like he's, the way he speaks. Sorry, Matt. The way he speaks is also ridiculous. I don't know if you guys have seen the, the some of the press releases the Argos put out with when pinballs quoted. It's like reading poetry. Yeah. Like a lot of, you know, in PR, a lot of the times you, you get a quote, you maybe I'll write the quote a little bit and we'll, you know, we'll bat it around to whoever we're writing it for. But you can tell pinball, you know, those quotes are coming from him because like they're, they're like it's poetry. It's it's hilarious yeah. to read. Well, and you've been in the room with him, obviously, coach, a million times. It just felt to me like at that time, from a distance, like he knew what he didn't know, right? Like he was being brought in as the figurehead or as something to appease the fans, and then he would defer to his, you know, his actual coaches or his, until he kind of got his feet underneath him. Yeah, he did a great job of that. You know, I always thought he did an excellent job of that and knew when to interject and what he needed to do and what things he needed to fix and... Um, I, I thought he handled that very well. Michaela? Yeah, one final question for me, Coach. I, I, I love the stories of uh, that you tell of the people you've worked with uh, in years past. Who are some of the other people who have made an influence on you in terms of the style of coaching that you um, perpetuate today? Uh, I, I mean, I guess you take from everybody, whether it's the small college guys I work with or whatever, but as more people know from the CFL, um, you know, I worked with Dave Ritchie for two years and, and Dave Ritchie never, you know, Dave Ritchie would have never known anything we did offensively. Like my interview with Dave Ritchie was like four questions, you know, like <laughs> offered me the job. And I was a 31 year old kid at the time. And, and we were fortunate enough to be very successful those years, but you know, like, you know, he was, I, I, what I loved about Dave is the players loved him because he was, you knew he could get tough on him, but like he also cared about him. I, I think the players understood he cared about him a lot. And, and and he also always built a culture of, I remember one time uh, we had a player who, you know, we had some players stay out on, uh, on a day two, uh, like closer to the end of the week and they got in a, they, something happened and there was a fight and a player got hurt and they had to miss games and coach ripped the entire team. And I thought he was going to rip them for being out. No, he ripped them because you let, you let two of our guys, you had a bunch of us together, and then you left and left those guys unprotected, just two of them. You should all have been there and kicked the crap out of all those guys. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, like that he, you know, promoted team. I always thought, now, it's a little when he's a grandfather age to, to me at 32 years old. So I always, uh, but I, I'll, I'll never forget that. I, I was fortunate enough to work with, um, you know, when Kent Austin was a head coach, I thought Kent really brought a belief that we're going to win each week, right? I thought he was his X's and O's. I, I learned a lot from uh, some of the fundamentals of football in the CFL and using motion and movements and how to read things as a quarterback. I, I took greatly from him, but I felt like with Kent Austin, every week you knew the players believe that the game plan is going to win, right? And, and, uh, I, I think we've done that wherever I've been since. And, and Ken Miller was excellent. Ken Miller 
was the guy was another grandfather figure to the players, but he let you coach, man. Like, you know, he gave, he believed in you. He believed in your coaches and he let you coach. I remember there was one time that we had a bad week and somebody was complaining about what we were doing in the organization and wanted to say, well, you should help out on Paul. You should tell Paul to do more of this or that. It was like one bad game. And they're like, you should be involved more in this and what Paul's doing. And, and then, you know, he, he, uh, what does he do? He goes, he, he tells me this. And then he's like, I'm going home early. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> and then you just, you know, you just, it's, it's pretty, pretty cool to have that. He would, he would pipe in when he had an opinion on something, but for the most part, he let you coach. And, you know, so those guys were all, you know, out, outstanding. And then, you know, that the last four years with Osh was really cool because you get, that's kind of the first younger guy to be a head coach I'd worked with if that makes sense, a former player, everything through the player's eyes, you know, we shouldn't do this. We're going to do this. You coaches might've thought of it this way. I'm a former player. I thought of it this way. I want us to do. And, and that kind of was excellent for me to have four years of that to kind of bridge from the coach's standpoint to the former players head coach's standpoint. So yeah, I've really enjoyed those times. And, and it was great because Ocean and I would be like, I can't tell you how many times him and I just talking about situations, whether it be team situations, how to, how to finish a game, how to, how to do whatever the situation happens with a player. Um, you know, it was fortunate to have Richie Hall, myself and, and, and Mike on that staff, uh, guys who've all been head coaches and uh, to be able to just kind of sit around in a room and talk about those situations were, were awesome for me. So yeah, I've enjoyed all those experiences. They've been good. Hopefully they've enjoyed working with me too. We'll see. Uh, this has been awesome, Coach. Really appreciate you making so much time for us. And uh, hopefully down the road when it's safe to do so, we can get you in studio for one of these. We'll have a pint together. All right. Well, I've got a call at 9 o'clock. So uh, if Hoffley gets a bunch of calls that I've been swearing on a, <laughs> <laughs> on a meeting that says I'm going to blame you guys. Hey, hey listen. I usually swear more than this on this podcast. So I think we've been good. I think we've been good tonight. Um, but like, seriously, how, like I, I've only, you know, Paul and I have only had a chance to hang out, you know, work-wise a couple times in person before this pandemic. So like, like hearing this, I, yeah, I just get more excited. I just want to, I want to see this whole group yes. back in the, in the stadium soon, because, you know, we've got, we've got a bunch of new coaches that are just, you know, tremendous people and professionals and players, a roster that's getting filled out very nicely and, and just, you know, a lot to be excited about. So let's, let's get it's at it. It's time to play football for sure. We need to see that. So. Uh, this has been awesome. So to uh, to Paul Apelis and Chris Hoffley, uh, thank you guys both so much for doing this. We uh, we really appreciate it. Hey guys, yeah, thank you. Thanks guys. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thanks guys. Oh, that was awesome. Um, can't thank Paul Apelis enough for making a little time for us. Again, thank you to Chris Hoffley for hooking that all up. If you missed it off the top, if you haven't done so yet, wherever you're listening, hope you will subscribe to this. Um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Pods, iHeartRadio, wherever you're listening right now, wherever you are hearing my sweet baritone voice. Ah, I'm just messing with you. Wherever you're hearing my annoying voice, whatever you want to call it, hope you'll subscribe. Check it out. There's a thumbs up button. There's a like button. There's a follow button. Um, whatever it looks like on your app, hit it because we got tons more great stuff coming for you. Uh, thank you, as always, to Michaela Schreider for co-hosting the pod. She will be back on Friday morning for her usual slot here on Tall Can Audio. 
And of course, thank you to Chris Hoffley for hooking that up and to the coach, Paul Lapolis, making some time for us, having a pint or two and uh, just talking about, you know, what it's been like for him moving through the system here, talking a little Canadian football. Uh, He was fantastic and we appreciate him giving us so much of his time. Stay tuned. Lots more great stuff to come on the podcast. We are on Twitter and Instagram at TallCanAudio, Facebook.com slash TallCanAudio. You can give us a follow there. Until next time, my name is Matt Robinson, and we will see you all down the road. Did you see that? Yep. There's an hour you're never getting back. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to take this chance to apologize. To absolutely nobody. The double tap does what the f- he wants. Uh, okay. I'm going to call that a wrap. You can find tons more TCA at tallcanaudio.com. But um bum.